The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. This is Goodnight Maryland Radio with your host, Nina Bosky. It's been more than 50 years since the tragic death of one of Hollywood's biggest stars at the time and in history, Marilyn Monroe. Nina seeks to uncover the life and death of this legendary star as it coincides with the pre-production of the feature film, Goodnight Marilyn. You'll get a chance to question, explore, and discover the secrets surrounding what really happened that fateful night back in 1962. Let's start the conversation. Here is the host of Goodnight Marilyn Radio, Nina Bosky. Hi, everyone. I'm Nina Bosky for Goodnight Maryland Radio, and welcome to the show as we explore the investigation, the life, and the movie all surrounding Miss Monroe herself. Well, uh, I believe uh, in this conversation we will be uh, talking about Dr. Ralph Greenson, uh, the man who was in very much in Maryland's life. Uh, was a prominent person in her life. Uh, we'll get into that a little bit more and what role he actually did play. As Goodnight Maryland fans, you know we are growing each and every day around the world, and it's because of you in this story that we are really shedding some light about what has happened now 53 years ago. Can you believe it? We are now in historical uh, part of this story And that's also what makes it a little bit more complicated as well, because, you know, there's a lot of hearsay. And part of my goal in this radio show is to shed some light to what is fact, what is fiction, what's probable theory, and what is actually just outlandish, you know, rumor. So we'd like to do some shout outs to our troops. Um, Not sure what's happening there on on the phone lines there, but shout out to our troops. We've got Major General Jim Rainey, U.S. Forces in Afghanistan. He's the Deputy Commander. Uh, He's got some soldiers out there, 31D soldiers from 3rd Combat Aviation Brigade. And I'd like to just do a shout out to all military troops because we're here in the United States and obviously we're supporting our troops, but this is a global radio show and I'd like to just do a shout out to all of the military around the world in each and every country because it's the men and women that are committing their lives to serving and protecting each and every one of their countries. So just a a shout out to the military. We also have a shout out to Choo Choo in Durango, Mexico, Bazir in uh, Hamburg, Germany, Lon in Hanoi, Vietnam, Bo from Fort Worth, Texas, John from East Victoria, Australia, Kelly from San uh, San Angelo, uh, Angelo, Texas, Lydia from Auckland, New Zealand, and that's Auckland, New Zealand, Jan from Washington, D.C., Betsy from Bellevue, Washington, and Alda from Ovar, Portugal. Well, as I said, we have an exciting show this week. We will explore the relationship between Marilyn and her psychiatrist, 
Dr. Ralph Greenson. We've talked a lot about Dr. Engelberg. We now know that he lied about giving her chloral hydrate. We also know that that the doctors were aware, they had to be, that she was being uh, heavily over-medicated. And according to Dr. Reef Kareem, a prominent psychiatrist here in Los Angeles, who also happens to be affiliated with UCLA and treats many celebrities as well, he's also on our investigation team, says that many of the drugs that they were giving her were also in conflict of each other. Uh, you know, I also want to just say on a counter side note that you know, not in defense of these doctors, but we we do have to point out that when people become very addicted to drugs, especially celebrities, it becomes very challenging to reason with them and get them off drugs. Many times you have to draw a hard line or, you know, be willing to stand up to them. Not many people want to do that. They don't want to let go of the prestige or the money. So it makes me wonder if they just never had the courage to say, really, enough is enough. We know and we'll find out, you know, that they're trying to wean her off. But most celebrities have yes people around them, which makes it even more difficult to get the proper help. But because of one person, uh, you know, does not give it to them, right? So if, you know, if you say no... The challenge is they'll just go to another doctor or another friend will be willing to step step in. So who was Dr. Ralph Greenson? How did he become Marilyn's doctor? Who was he? And did he play a role in Marilyn's death? Well, many people do blame the doctors, especially Dr. Greenson. Today, it may be a little difficult in some ways not to project our own judgments, especially with what we know today. I think, though, all of us, including the panel and the audience out there, I'm going to ask you, though, to transport yourself back to 1962. It was a very different era, and the drugs and practices to treat mental disorders were also very different. But before we do that, I have some announcements. I'd like to thank the Voice America Radio Network's Randall Libero, our executive producer. Matt is with us, filling in for Mike today. And Jen, our social media person. A little shout out there to uh, all of you for making this happen each and every week. We also had our Marilyn uh, casting auditions this uh, week. Second round of auditions was this last Tuesday. want to thank you, ladies, for bringing your talents. Not an easy role to play. As you know, there was only one Marilyn. So it is it is not an easy uh, character or uh, as an actress to play the role of Marilyn. So with that, let's get started. Let's do a recap of last week's show, but let's introduce the, the panel. Last week, we were talking about the infamous and, uh, you know, very, um, oh man, troubled, troubled soul of Peter Lawford. Uh, you know, the dashing, charming British actor that uh, came to town became, uh, you know, the good-looking elite part of not only the Rat Pack and uh, old Hollywood, but also the the real main core connection with the Kennedys. Uh, We will just recap what we talked a little bit about last week. With us is Gary Vitaco Robles, icon, the lifetimes and films of Marilyn Monroe, volumes one and two. I do want to point out for those of you who are looking to do and learn more about Marilyn, this two-volume set 
uh, is one of the best ones out there because it gives you an in-depth look at the at, at the person, Marilyn. But it's done without a lot of sensationalism, and I would say neutrality and compassion. So, if you are looking for a book to really understand uh, the insights and the who Marilyn was. The Lifetimes and Films of Marilyn Monroe Icon, uh, Volumes 1 and 2. Also like to introduce Mary Jane Gray from Immortal Marilyn. She's the research queen. And for those of you who do not know what Immortal Marilyn is, many of you do, go to immortalmarilyn.com. You can join one of the many, uh, that's a fan club for Marilyn, probably the largest in the world. And uh, they do a lot of research and uh, really communicate with the fans. So I just want to do that shout out because each and every week uh, these two special uh, special experts come to us and they have a passion to find the truth just like we're trying to find the truth and they give their years of expertise to the show. We also have April and I hope I'm saying your your last name right via via on with us. She called in last week. I was I didn't realize though that she writes and has a blog uh, and last week she had talked about uh, Peter Lawford and she also has a lot of other information uh, on her blog the unraveling the slander of Marilyn Monroe so I'd like her to recap uh, along with the panel from last week's episode welcome guys to the show thank you Nina Hi, Nina. Nice to be back all right. So, April, let's just start with you for just a moment. Uh, you listened to last week's show. What is it that you would like to say in regards to understanding Peter, Peter Lawford uh, just a little bit more? Um, I guess the main thing, I'm going to be honest. When I, because uh, as a lot of people know, I try to make my blog posts coincide with the show, whichever topic's coming or you guys have covered. And when I first started researching Lawford last week, I'll be honest with you, I thought he was just a complete dog and that he had tarnished Marilyn's memory. And it was really interesting to go through his interviews and see that his story really didn't change at all from 62 until he died in 84. And I think that's a big thing because most of the stuff we hear about Lawford saying that Marilyn had an affair with Kennedy, um really comes from Deborah Gould, his third wife of, what, eight weeks? <laughs> so that was a big thing for me to learn. And I think you guys really covered that last week, which was great. Okay. And I also want to just, uh, for those of you that would like to read more about uh, April's blog, it's the slander of Spot. That slander of Marilyn Monroe dot blogspot dot com, and uh, you know she she certainly does her research. She has a lot of news uh, newspaper clippings, um, and I think it's important as we you know, def- try to detect what's fact and fiction and try to put this stuff together. It's not easy to do. It's very complex. And you guys, uh, all of you, do a excellent job in terms of finding, uh, you know, past clippings, information, um, letters, etc. so we can start to piece some of this together. So thank you, April, for sharing with us with that. And Gary, you also had a cute story, I think, in terms of Peter Lawford and uh, uh, around Chris Lawford, and if you could share that uh, that uh, uh, little moment with us, that would be great. Yes, the, the Lawfords had four children, with uh, Christopher Lawford being 
the oldest, and in 1962, he would have been about seven years old. And 10 years ago, he wrote a book called uh, Symptoms of Withdrawal, a Memoir of Snapshots and Redemption, and he talks about his childhood memories and his struggle with addiction, but he has a, a very delightful memory of Marilyn visiting his parents and his family at the beach, and his vivid memory is of Marilyn teaching he and his younger brothers and sisters how to dance the twist in the family living room. And he has kind memories of his mother's relationship with Marilyn. And, um, you know, I believe that the Lawfords, uh, although they didn't feature heavily in Marilyn's uh, complete life, they were certainly present in her last 12 months, and they... they seem to really love her dearly, and I understand that after her death, they, they found a pair of her beach sandals at their home um, on the Pacific coast, and they had them bronzed in memory of Marilyn. Interesting. Wow. So those, you know, those little tidbits that give us little insight into people, who people are, and it becomes more and more challenging because now we're in 2015 and many people are passing away, which becomes more difficult to go back and ask them what exactly, exactly happened. Um, Mary Jane, we have a question. I'm going to direct this towards you. Uh, It says, uh, it's from Darby Jane. She says, do we know the order in which the witness were interviewed at the scene the night that Norma Jean died. Uh, Nina, which is me, always talks about not throwing the baby out with the bathwater, and Mrs. Murray seems like someone who doesn't do much of anything without prompting. I wonder if there's any evidence to suggest that she left the room not to do the laundry, as a lot of clothing seems to be sent out for cleaning and there's no laundry hookup that we've found. But to avoid being the first to be interviewed, I would think that that would be that they'd want to speak with her initially because she was the one who found the body. Unfortunately, there's no way to know that for sure. Um, if you look at the original um, interview reports by Sergeant Byron, they're not in any particular order. Um, there's a, a typed document where uh, Milton Rudin is listed as the first person that uh, his account of being interviewed, and then there's Sergeant Byron's handwritten notes of who he spoke to, and again, they're not in any order, so there's really no way of knowing that. All right. Well, that's that's you know, and that's the challenge again in terms of getting uh, not all the information, but uh, you know, little bits and pieces of the information. That's why it's going to be really important for us to hopefully be working with the LAPD and really looking at the investigation from a fresh perspective and giving it fresh eyes because it is historical at this point. Uh, Gary and or uh, April, do you have any comments on that one before uh, we have somebody holding that has a question in regards to a clip I'm going to be uh, playing in just a second? In another one of the reports, there was an original report, a follow-up report, and a re-interview. I know in the follow-up report, Engelberg and Greenson are indicated as witnesses number one and witnesses number two. So I don't know if that sheds any light but uh, it might be information about them both being interviewed before Mrs. Murray, but that's just uh, my assumption based upon uh, that number associated with each of them in the report. 
Also, just want to point out that Skip McComer, who's ex-LAPD, said that the way that they handled back in 1962 would be very different than what they would be doing today, meaning that it would be, uh, you know, the, the tape would come up, there would be, you know, there wouldn't be people walking in and out like they were. It would have been a very different situation simply because it was a high-profile celebrity. Uh, let's go to uh, the call. Phil, um, Phil, are you on... Uh, are you on with us? Hi. Hi, Nina. Hi. I'm going to play the clip from uh, that uh, talks Dr. Ralph Greenson, uh, talks about Bobby Kennedy. This has been floating around. I want the panel and uh, Phil to get your comments on this. Uh, let's play the clip. I can't explain myself or defend myself without those even things that I don't want to reveal. I feel like I can't, you know, you can't go around and say, well, I'll tell you this and I won't tell you that. It's terrible all right, so you see a kind of a disjointed uh, clip around Bobby Kennedy. Phil, you wanted uh, to give us a comment on that. Oh, I, there are so many red flags, short, 30-second segment. Uh, the first thing I wanted to try to clarify, because I'm not absolutely sure, I think Mary Jane might know, is there another version of this or a longer version of this conversation available anywhere? Mary Jane? I've not found anything other than that clip. I'm certain someone somewhere has the full recording, but as of yet, I haven't turned it up. Yeah, I, and I'm, I'm in the same boat. I've also looked at other references written and, uh, and all of these references uh, uh, specifically just address this 30 seconds. And of course, the red flags I see, uh, first of all, is that this is not a conversation, certainly not an interview. Um, a conversation has a beginning, a middle part, and an ending. Uh, this is something that has been uh, cut together um, as, a, as a soundbite. So I absolutely I have agree with that. Absolutely. Yes, and there's, we don't even have the context. We don't even hear the question which resulted in Greenson's response. And then the comment about Kennedy, um, that, that always uh, seems edited when it, when it appears in the documentary, so we don't even know if it's a part of his original response or if he's responding to yet another question. So yeah. without context, it, it, it becomes uh, rather unhelpful. And all, all right, the facts so, together and the lack of transparency about what he was asked and the, the transcript of, of maybe that interview, it makes me think that it was probably manipulated to, just, you know, just, make just people from, think something. <laughs> yeah, well, here's the thing. Just from the perspective of being in audio and being in radio for all these years, right, the chances of it being doctored is highly, highly likely. Um, and I think that just as the panel and the investigation, when we go into the real-life investigation, which this radio show is obviously laying the show for really looking into this stuff, uh, I think that if anybody in terms of our audience can come up where the source is, that would be great. But I think this is going to be one of those things that we have to find out exactly where that source is. It's going to be somewhere. Somewhere someone has that source. So we're going to take a quick break. April, is there one thing you also wanted to say uh, before I know you're departing us? Anything in regards to that as well? Um, I really disagree with the panel. I mean, we don't know the context. As you stated, it's very likely that it could have been set up, that he said something about Bobby, and that 
it's just like everyone said, we don't know the context, and it would be great to know what the question was it's, and why Bobby's name was even brought up. Exactly. Phil, great point. Thanks for calling in. We've got to take a quick break, and we will start our conversation all around Dr. Ralph Greenson. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Tune in each week for Monica Phillips and powerful conversations. This is a thought-provoking show for business people, leaders, and entrepreneurs. We'll feature today's thought leaders and industry trendsetters from across several locations and industries. Give yourself permission to be inspired and live a fulfilling life. Be sure to listen to Powerful Conversations live every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. What can you find on Get Real Radio? Well, quite honestly, who you really are. Join host James Robinson each week for a program designed to reveal more about yourself and your world through words of wisdom and profound guests. You'll discover more about the spiritual movement and how it can work with you and alert you to problems you may not be aware of. It will educate, titillate, and enlighten your mind. Get Real Radio is broadcast live every Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. This could end up being the best time of your week. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Listening to Goodnight Marilyn Radio. Help us explore the mystery that is and was Marilyn Monroe. Call into our program at 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. You may also send an email to MarilynLiveTalk at gmail.com. Now, back to this week's show. Hi, I'm Greg Schreiner from Marilyn Remembered. Did you know that Marilyn was very, very generous with charities? She loved to support them. She was a big fan of the Arthritis Foundation. She even wrote a pink elephant at Madison Square Garden for the March of Dimes, and her last public appearance was for a charity at Dodgers Stadium. For Good Night Marilyn Radio and Marilyn Remembered, I'm Greg Schreiner. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Goodnight Maryland Radio. I'm Nina Bosky. We are talking about Dr. Ralph Greenson, but we actually have another question. I'm going to see if I can play this clip over my phone. I'm not sure if I can. Let's see if we can do it. It's from, uh, people are wanting to know, it's Lydia from, uh, what is it, from, uh, she's from Arlington, Kentucky, wants to know who Betty Robin or Robin was, who claims that she was a personal assistant to uh, to Maryland. So let's see if I can uh, pull up this clip and see if we can play it. She did not voluntarily take her life. Well, I think doctors gave her pills, and they were. She had a bad habit. She had a very large table next to her bed. And they had a stock of pills there. 
And uh, if she, I assume, if she took one or two, she might have been a little amused and mm -hmm. taken another one or two. But voluntarily, she did not commit suicide. All right. I don't know if you were able to hear that. That's actually from my phone, not from the guys in the engineer uh, room. But I did because we did get a question. Wanted to ask uh, the panel, who is this person in Marilyn's life? Did she exist? Um, the one thing she, I think we all agree on that uh, Marilyn, whether it was an overdose or not, we don't know. But she, most people will say to uh, agree that she didn't actively commit suicide. So uh, your thoughts, Gary, on this? Well, I saw that YouTube clip when I was researching Icon, so I you know, searched high and low for any information about this woman. Um, she claims to have been a secretary, or the clip identifies her as such, but I cannot find her anywhere in um, Marilyn's records. Sherry Redman was the, the last secretary Marilyn had in Los Angeles, and um, Marge Stengel um, in New York, uh, May Reese. So, you know, there's many documented women, even Hedda Rostin, who had secretarial duties for her and their memos and correspondence and um, uh, paychecks survive. But I see no mention of this woman. So she remains a mystery to me. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see if we go back to, you know, some of the people that she says that she worked for as well, um, if there's any record there. But I find it very, uh, uh, you know, concerning the fact that in Maryland's estate, there's no record of her as well. So, Mary Jane, uh, I, I would imagine you agree, or how do you feel about this? This woman I agree, absolutely. I mean, when um, the YouTube clip of her surfaced, I was like, who is this? And I started digging around. I can't find anything substantiating um, that she worked for Marilyn. She uh, claims she was a personal assistant, but uh, I can't find any record of Marilyn having a personal assistant. She had secretaries, and they were very well documented. And Betty Robin, I mean, there's no correspondence. There's no photos of her. There's no pay stub. Her name doesn't appear in Marilyn's address books. So I, I really don't see anywhere where she fits in. All right. Well, let's. I uh, hope that answers your question, Lydia from uh, Kentucky. Let's get on with uh, today's show. Dr. Ralph Greenson. <laughs> Who in the world was Dr. Grel Ralph Greenson, and how did he come to know Marilyn? Uh, Gary, you want to start it off? Well, yes. This is a relationship marked by blurred line boundaries and the therapist's emotional entanglement with her misguided good intentions and very limited treatment options of the day. But um, Marilyn had uh, seen primarily female psychotherapists in her lifetime. She worked with Margaret Hohenberg and Marianne Chris, and um, he appears as her first male psychoanalysis. And so you can imagine the um, issues that were now trans onto him where Marilyn was working through lots of issues related to her strange relationship with her mom. You know, now she has a male, so this kind of elicits the unresolved father abandonment issues and even sexual issues. But he first appears in her life in 1960 when Marilyn goes into crisis on the set of Let's Make Love, um, likely during her affair to Eve Montan. And uh, Marianne Chris in New York recommended Greenson in Los Angeles. And so um, when Marilyn uh, took the apartment at the end of 1961 
and was spending more time in Los Angeles than, than New York, he became her, her primary psychotherapist in place of Marianne Chris, uh, whom she became very angry with for having uh, hospitalized her in 61. So, so let me ask both of you, and I'll start with you, Mary Jane. Why do you think Dr. Ralph Greenson is such a key figure in Marilyn's life? Um, uh, let's just start with that question first. Well, people like to look at Marilyn in hindsight. Like, they start looking at her life from the moment of her death and work backwards. And Dr. Greenson features very prominently in the last two years of her life. And when you delve a little deeper into the complexities of their relationship, there's a lot of red flags, there's a lot of triggers, and there's a lot of evidence that his treatment of her was really detrimental to her. And, and you know, from both of your standpoints, right, and for, the, for those of people that are first listening in that might not know a lot about Dr. Ralph Greenson and what his practices were, Gary, you know, uh, if you can give people just a little insight, not only are you an author of, of ICON, but you're also a mental health uh, professional. So what exactly in terms of uh, Ralph Greenson, what were some of his practices that were you know, would be deemed inappropriate, especially from today's standards? Well, he, he felt that she was far too fragile to really engage in, in psychotherapy, so he was doing what he called kind of supportive counseling with her, but this really became parenting her. He um, believed that she was very lonely and um, drifting personally, and he tried to create some anchors in her life by inviting her into his personal life and into his home with his wife and adult children who, for the most part, still lived at home. So he created like a a surrogate family for her and encouraged her to um, have sessions at the house, which is very um, unusual. Um, And not only to have a, a, not only did he have a soundproof office in his home, but after dinner, he would, uh, she would stay for meals, and um, she would wash the dishes afterwards, and she was invited over on weekends when um, he would have chamber music sessions and invite his friends. And so she, she's a member of his household. She participates in their family gatherings. Um, he sees her almost every day. In fact, the last, um, from July 1st to August 4th, he has 28 visits with her. Uh, wow. She becomes a member of the family, and then he encourages her to um, uh, bring people into her life that he designates. So um, Mrs. Murray, who is the companion slash housekeeper, is actually um, a contact of his. He encourages Marilyn to hire her. Uh, Marilyn hires his brother-in-law as her attorney. And Henry Weinstein, who was a, a good friend of the Greensons, is actually the producer on her last film, Something's Got to Live. So her life is completely enveloped in this uh, cocoon that Greenson has. And he uh, believes that many of her friends are unhealthy for her. So um, he takes control of her life by replacing them. So, you know, the, the treatment is, about, is, it, is not about empowering her. Um, to become more independent and to rely upon her own internal resources. And it's not about giving her the skills to cope. 
it becomes kind of this um, codependent, um, enmeshed relationship. And um, this, this is, you know, really, really unhealthy. And um, there was a, 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 a psychiatrist, uh, Stanley Cohen, who actually wrote an article about this for a psychoanalytic journal uh, about 10 years ago. And, you know, he really talks about the doctor losing uh, Marilyn as, as, as the focus and his own personal issues now being met through his relationship with her, which horribly... Uh, compromised her treatment. But you, know, yeah. you can imagine in working with someone like Marilyn Monroe who uh, was so charismatic and it's easy because she's so vulnerable to want to take care of her or protect her, um, it would be hard not to get caught up. And it doesn't seem like he, he got much supervision and consultation to help ground him. Um, and, you know, the quote from uh, Cohen is, you know, what restraint self-abnegation and responsible self-awareness it would take for an analyst to be able to contain and manage such temptations for the sake of the patient's analysis. And it seems like Greenson really got in over his head and became too enmeshed and too emotionally involved. And I think this was pretty devastating on her. Well, I think it's devastating for a lot of reasons because you have a codependent relationship with him, enmeshment, right? And then you also have a codependency with with her. Um, Mary Jane, you also have an interesting point in regards to some of the studies um, in terms of uh, Marilyn and Greenson's discussions, you know, of his improper treatment. Tell us a little bit about that as it relates to the frontal lobe uh, information. Oh, okay. Um uh, Dr. Greenson did military service during World War II in 1942. He was assigned to a veterans hospital in New York. Um, and there's a detailed accident report from December 13, 1943, that he was in um, a, a collision and he suffered a severe head injury. Um, they say that his skull was fractured, he was unconscious, had amnesia, uh, it said for several days after, he experienced signs of euphoria, was dragging his left foot, had facial nerve damage. Um, you can even see that in some photos of him. The one side of his face droops. Um, he couldn't focus his eyes. He even had seizures. That was documented in 1946. Um, he had loss of reflexes and faulty coordination. Now, there have been a number of studies into uh, criminology and the link between frontal lobe damage and um, convicted murderers. Again, I'm not saying Greenson is a convicted murderer, but it's a very interesting connection. Um, In one study of 70 uh, serial killers that had brain scans done, all 70 showed signs of frontal lobe damage. Another study of 41 convicted murderers showed all 41 had frontal lobe damage. Um, The frontal lobe uh, is responsible for social relations, uh, self-control, planning, judgment, um, impulse control, ego is all controlled by the frontal lobe. So I would like to see more research done into how Greenson's accident impacted his treatment of his patients later on. Well, I think that's a very interesting point. And Gary, being in the mental health professional, what do you have to say about that in terms of the frontal lobe, uh, you know, uh, uh, importance? 
Well, yes, that's, that's the basis for, for impulse control and foresight and reasoning, um, judgment, um, consideration of consequences of behavior. And uh, from what I understand, this was a significant injury. I uh, also understand that following the, the injury, um, he even had some episodes of mania and grandiosity, which would be, you know, an inflated sense of, of oneself and of one's power. So uh, this is very interesting, and it would be interesting to see how it impacted his practice with Marilyn and, and with other patients. Yeah, and he was a very, we have to remember back in 1962, a very high-profile, uh, prominent psychiatrist. Who else did he uh, treat during that time? Frank Sinatra, Vivian Leigh. Um, he was clinical professor of psychiatry at the University of California Medical School. He was dean of training at the L.A. Institute for Psychoanalysis. Um, Blythe Magazine was uh, consulting with him and interviewed him on articles that I've been able to trace back to the mid-50s. So he, he yeah. was a, a prominent uh, provider in the Los Angeles area. Yeah, I'm not sure or not, but I think he also treated Cary Grant, too. So there was uh, some significant people that he, he, you know, that we don't even know of. And when you start looking at that and the reputation as well, um, you know, that's, it's, it's, you know, when you use the word codependent, that's my life bite for the week. And we'll, uh, we'll pick that up after the break. Mary Jane, is there anything else you want to uh, comment on as before we go to the break? And we'll continue the conversation about uh, Dr. Greenson. Um, just that, I, you know, uh, the, the same, that I think his uh, relationship with Marilyn was highly inappropriate. Um, and if you look at letters he wrote to Dr. Chris following her death, I mean, there's some stuff in there that's very disturbing from a position of hindsight. Yeah, it says, uh, you had uh, put this in your notes, it says, if I behaved in a way which hurt her, she acted as, as though it was the end of the world and could not rest until peace had been reestablished, but peace could not be reconci- reconciled in and death. So I think that's interesting, you know, I think the the, the records, um, we do have access to them now, but they're sealed uh, to, in UCLA's uh, library uh, to 2039. Luckily, um, before they were sealed, we do have access to them. So that's going to be interesting to see what uh, more and more of uh, his files have to say. So as we start the real-life investigation, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to continue our conversation about Dr. Ralph Greenson. My panel is uh, Mary Jane Gray from Immortal Maryland and Gary Vitaco Robles, icon, lifetimes and films of Marilyn Monroe. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. The world we live in has become a crazy place. Poverty is at an all-time high in the wealthiest nation on Earth. We keep calling on government to save us with new programs. And now... We have more people using food stamps than any time in our history. This problem continues to get worse. The answer to poverty is in our homes, churches, and communities, and through our children. Get the answers from The Mickey Ellison Show, Wednesdays at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern, on Voice America Variety. 
You count. Tune into Inner Revolutionary Radio and join the spontaneous wave of people all over the planet who, like you, are changing our world from the inside out. Follow the movement. Meet guests who are shaking things up. Call in and gain insights and courage to empower your own voice. Large or small, your part counts. So join us. Co-hosted by Beth Green and James Maynard, Inner Revolutionary Radio airs live every Thursday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Goodnight Maryland Radio. Help us explore the mystery that is and was Marilyn Monroe. Call into our program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to MarilynLiveTalk at gmail.com. Now, back to this week's show. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Goodnight Maryland Radio. I'm Nina Bosky. The panel and I are talking about Dr. Ralph Greenson, who was Maryland psychiatrist uh, the last couple of days, couple of days, couple of years of her life. Uh, saw her, as you heard in the last segment, 28 out of the 35 days um, prior to her death. Uh, that's a lot of time to be spending with somebody and really knowing her her psyche. Today's Life Bite, I think, is just only apropos. Gratitude unlocks the fullness of life. It turns what we have into enough and more. It turns denial into acceptance, chaos to order, confusion to clarity. It can turn a meal into a feast, a house into a home, a stranger into a friend. Melody Beattie is the author of Codependent No More. You know, it's actually too bad that Marilyn was not able to read this book prior to her death. Um, you know, obviously it wasn't in her generation. It might explain, though, many of the challenges she had in all of her relationships, including Dr. Greenson. You know, being codependent on anyone or anything in life can be one of the biggest challenges, especially for women. You know, we find our identity through others. We often find that if we are needed, that we are valued. But any codependent or a meshed relationship keeps us in denial and keeps us from looking for our truth. So what exactly is a codependent relationship? Well, the first step in getting things back on track is to understand the meaning of a codependent relationship. Experts say, according to uh, WebMD, that it's a pattern of behavior in which you find yourself dependent on the approval from someone else for your self-worth and identity. You know, sometimes it can feel like an addiction to someone. Uh, One key sign is when your sense of purpose in life is wrapped up in making extreme sacrifices to satisfy another person's needs or building your world around someone else. And we'll find out how that relates to Marilyn and Dr. Greenson in just a moment. So how do you know if you're in a codependent relationship? Well, are you unable to find satisfaction in your life outside of the specific person? Do you recognize unhealthy behaviors in uh, that person, but stay with him or her in spite of them? Are you giving support to another person at the cost of your own mental, emotional, and physical health? 
Individuals can also assume that they are in a codependent relationship if people around them have given them feedback that they're too dependent on that certain person or have a desire at times for more independence. But the stronger conflict is to that they want they'll stay because attempting to separate can feel overwhelming. They also feel more anxiety than any other emotion when they're in a relationship, and they spend a lot of time trying to change their that person or partner and and or trying to conform to their partner's wishes. So Melody Beattie goes on to say, and it, I find this interesting. She has a blog, and it was written on June first, two thousand fifteen, and I find this very interesting as we're talking about Marilyn, it says, be who you are. For some of us, this may be frightening. What would happen if we felt what we felt, said what we wanted, became firm about our beliefs and valued what we needed? What would happen if we let go of our camouflage of adapting to another's needs? What would happen if we owned our power to be ourselves? Would people still like us? Would they go away? Would they become angry? There comes a time when we become willing and ready to take that risk, to continue growing and living with ourselves. We realize we must liberate ourselves. It becomes time to stop allowing ourselves to be so controlled by others and their expectations and be true to ourselves regardless of the reactions of others. Before long, we begin to understand some people may go away, but the relationship would have ended anyway. Some people stay and love and respect us more for taking that risk of being who we are. We begin to achieve intimacy and relationships that work. We discover that who we are has always been good enough. It is who we intended to be. Today, I will own my power of being myself. Wouldn't that be wonderful? I know Marilyn was trying to do that in her life, but how wonderful if she could have achieved it. Gary, in talking about Marilyn and who Dr. Greenson was in her life, we talk about codependency. Was Marilyn getting ready to say goodbye to Dr. Greenson? There has, there has been speculation about that. Um, she had made some statements uh, about resenting his control over her. She, she seemed to be getting healthier and um, wanting to be more independent. And um, this is uh, corroborated by Marlon Brando and even um, by Pat Newcomb. I know uh, Pat uh, had said that Marilyn was very angry uh, about Greenson when he left for Europe in the spring of 62 and that several times she threatened to fire him or to leave him. Um, But um, Ms. Newcomb uh, didn't quite take the threats seriously, but definitely Marilyn was rebelling, and that sounds to me like the healthy part of her identifying that, that this isn't um, helpful treatment for her. And there's also a let. Oh, go ahead. Unfortunately, though, you know, I, I could imagine um, how, how Greenson would, would have um, tried to steer her away from that um, and made her believe that uh, she was being more oppositional and defiant rather than being, than being healthy. So, um, it's, it's, it's still very unclear. 
I think it's challenging because you used the word earlier in the show about empowerment. And the one thing I'm hearing with these stories about Dr. Greenson, whether it was intended or not, he certainly didn't do things to empower her and make her feel like she could do it on her own. Um, you have a, a letter uh, from Maryland to uh, Lee Strasberg back in December 19th of 1961. Read that to us if you could. Yeah, and this is written shortly before Marilyn spends uh, Christmas Eve with Joe DiMaggio in the Greenson home, in their living room, roasting chestnuts from a pan that she gives them as a gift. So, so you know, you hear even more enmeshment there, but she writes this December 19th. As you know, for years I've been struggling to find some emotional security with little success for many reasons. Only in the last several months, as you detected, do I seem to have made a modest beginning? It is true that my treatment with Dr. Greenson has had its ups and downs. However, my overall progress is such that I have hopes of finally establishing a piece of ground for myself to stand on instead of the quicksand I've always been in. But Dr. Greenson agrees with you that for me to live decently and productively, I must work. And work means not merely performing professionally, but to study and truly devote myself. My work is the only trustworthy hope I have. Interesting. You know, the other thing is, as you have in your notes, and I think it's an icon too, is Dr. Greenson was very controlling of Joe DiMaggio. Uh, and I can understand Joe DiMaggio is no pushover. So explain that relationship. Well, Joe featured so heavily in Marilyn's life from Christmas of 1960 onward. And, you know, there's, there's, we know that, that um, DiMaggio was a frequent guest in the Greenson home with Marilyn, but we also know that there's some time, at least one time, that Greenson is keeping Marilyn separated from DiMaggio. And this is a story told to Donald Spoto by a student who is under Greenson's supervision. And I think it's, it's early March when Marilyn comes back from Mexico and before she accepts the Golden Globe Award, and she's spending the weekend um, at the Greenson home upstairs in one of the guest bedrooms. And uh, DiMaggio um, comes to the house requesting to see her, and um, Greenson won't, won't allow that to happen. He forbids them to see each other, and he keeps DiMaggio downstairs. And from this um, young student intern's perspective, Marilyn grows uh, very agitated. And the student compares the situation to a patient being confined to a hospital against her will and demanding to see her family or visitors. And uh, the student tells Spoto that that, um, Marilyn was, was close to a tantrum. Um, the, the interesting thing, though, Spado does not reveal the student's identity, which, which is a concern when we don't have a name. Um, yeah. And we know that, we also know that Greenson disproved of Marilyn's relationship with uh, Sinatra as well. Now, he yeah, was let's talk about that. Yeah, let's he, talk he about that because that's a meshment at its best. He's, he's, he's seeing Frank Sinatra, so he knows about his private life, and he's also treating Marilyn. Tell us a little bit about that because I think that's just, it, it's unbelievably a meshed. I don't know if it was the times or what, but I, I, I can't believe in today's society that kind of stuff would be, uh, uh, you know, not only is it unethical, you'd probably be brought up on criminal charges yourself. 
Yeah, there's definitely a conflict of interest in seeing uh, these these two people. Um, now, there's a letter that that um, Greenson writes to Dr. Chris in May of '61, which is, he mentions uh, clearly Sinatra by initials. But he says the kind of treatment I do with her, basically, in other words, is you know, is is the type of treatment you do with an adolescent girl who needs guidance, friendliness, and firmness, and she she takes it very well. She looks forward to coming to Los Angeles because she could. Speak to me. Of course, this does not prevent her from canceling several hours to go to Palm Springs with Mr. F.S. She is unfaithful to me as one is to a parent. So this clearly shows his countertransference issues. He's now seeing himself as a father and Marilyn being unfaithful to him to seek out um, a male partner of her own. This is an adult woman who's about 35 years old at the time. And even there's a letter that Marilyn writes to Greenson where she mentions to him the expression on his face whenever she uh, brings up Frank Sinatra. She writes in a postscript to a letter, which would have been around March of 61, uh, when she's in the psychiatric hospital. Someone, when I mentioned his name to you, you used to frown with your mustache and look up at the ceiling. Guess who? He has been secretly a very tender friend. I know you won't believe this, but you must trust me with my instincts. It was sort of a fling on the wing. I had never done that before, but now I have. But he is very unselfish in bed. So um, here she's even telling her doctor, allow me to trust myself with a, with a person I want to see. Yeah, very, very interesting. And also, like I said, in terms of treatment, uh, you know, there's a, there's a whole other level there that is, is uh, very fascinating. We're going to, obviously, we're going to continue talking next week about this. Um, we've got a lot to cover with Dr. Greenson. But uh, Mary Jane, you also have another point in terms of the case of Inger Stevens. Tell us a little bit about how there's a connection there, if any. Yeah, I just, uh, I stumbled across this, you know, doing research, and I just found it very interesting. Um, Inger Stevens was an actress who died of a barbiturate overdose in 1970. Um, She was said by her family and friends to be fine, normal, cheerful, looking forward to projects she'd been working on, so they were very confused by where did this overdose suicide come, come from. Um, in the press, they started to speculate that she'd been having an affair with Burt Reynolds and saying that, oh, they'd had a fight the day before she died, and she was so despondent over it that she killed herself. Um, her coroner was Dr. Noguchi, who ordered a psychological autopsy on her. Um, much was made of the fact that she'd had a previous suicide attempt 11 years earlier. And, you know, her family and people close to her are still trying to say she did not commit suicide and look more into this and investigate it properly. The thing that I find extremely interesting about it is her psychiatrist was also Dr. Ralph Greenson. So there's a lot of eerie similarities to Marilyn in Inger Stevens's case. Okay, so I just want to point out, though, too, what Dr. Reef has said, and you guys have said it multiple times on, on this show, how over-medicated she was, and the, the medications that they were giving her were in conflict with each other, and you put insomnia on top of that, and the fact that he saw her 28 out of the 35 days prior to her death and did not catch this. I find this a very interesting and fascinating uh, correlation. 
I'm certainly not saying that he did anything um, intentionally, uh, but I do have to say as a doctor, even back in 1962, uh, it's very concerning. We're going to pick up next week, guys, where we left off. There's still more along with Dr. Ralph Greenson. We're also going to be getting into Dr. Bobby Kennedy, Senator Bobby Kennedy, what the relationship was with, with Marilyn. But next week, we will pick up where we left off, continuing the conversation around Dr. Ralph Greenson, who he was, what kind of control he had in, had on her, and what other things things he said in relationship to Marilyn. I want to thank the panel again for being on the show today, April and Phil for also uh, joining us, Mary Jane Gray, Immortal Marilyn, Gary Vitaka Robles, Icon, The Lifetimes and Films of Marilyn Monroe, Volumes 1 and 2. This wraps up another week's show. Join us next time. I'm Nina Bosky for Goodnight Marilyn Radio, and remember to never stop dreaming. Thank you for joining us for today's show. Good Night Maryland Radio with Nina Bosky can be heard live every Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Be sure to tune in again next week.